2: and this is hyphenated the podcast about living in the hyphen. And if you can't tell by our intonation, we're we're a little pissed today.
3: <laughs> yep.
2: Oh, I feel like that sound encapsulates my emotions perfectly. Just like man, this guttural sigh mixed with like a gargle.
3: Ugh, you know? <laughs> I'm just disgusted. I'm not surprised though. For me it's like What are these Clowns gonna do next So we
2: should probably Give a little context We should probably Give a little context Perhaps we should (laughs) Perhaps we should We're talking about Obviously The new movie I'm kidding Um, We're (laughs) You know I I don't know how you feel Jenny But I um, I'm someone who Yes I I I like keeping up with the news I um, I feel like it's my duty Um, and I find it to be very important for me to be a good citizen, not only of this country, but of the world. Um, but I struggle with it at times. I I find it to be really emotionally exhausting and anxiety inducing, um, to the point where, and I know that sounds incredibly privileged. like, oh, I, I, if, if I, I don't have to look at it. Um, I do think I have to look at it, but I also choose when to look at it. And I always look at stuff like right when I wake up in the morning before I get to work, just so I can sort of inform myself and then sort of switch to work mode so I can just like, you know, not feel the existential dread of how horrible the world is. But, you know, this particular case that we're talking about today, which is the case of the 50 Venezuelan migrants that were flown to Martha's Vineyard by uh, Greg Abbott and Ron DeSantis, governor of Texas and of Florida, really hit in a way that I, uh, I can't really put into words. It, it, it. Di- I could not shake it off. Is what I'm saying. Like I spent the whole day afterwards just like thinking about it and being like, should I just book a flight to Martha's Vineyard and go help by making jokes because I don't have any skills <laughs> that would be yeah. useful? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I can't cook. What am I? What do I do? So, for those of you that maybe don't know all the details, fifty. Um, 50- Venezuelan migrants, they cross the border and turn themselves into border control. Now, this is something that people that seek asylum do. They cross Mm. the border, they go turn themselves in, and then they're given a hearing in order to prove whether or not um, they can seek asylum. Now, this part is true, which is the immigration system is so overloaded that um, it's almost created such an enormous backlog that a lot of immigrants are and and migrants are kind of stuck in this limbo of waiting for their hearing but also not being fully legal but it is legal to get into the united states and seek asylum so i that's something very important
3: yeah let's let's start claim. with that because they're already being called illegal
2: yeah so legally they're not technically illegal they yeah. are on they're on the path to becoming asylum seekers. Now, these asylum seekers, they were in Texas, and uh, one day, I- in different areas of of the city, they were approached by a woman. And this is like a mistake. The way that I read these articles is like a woman came up to them, and I'm like, who is this woman that yeah. came up to all these random migrants and basically promised them shelter, food, work. Um, and immigration help if they boarded a plane to this island in the north. And these migrants thought that this person had their best interest in mind, and they they boarded the flight. And what happened was they were flown to Martha's Vineyard, which is an affluent vacation uh, spot in Massachusetts. It's like an island. It's an island. And Mm -hmm. um, they were dropped off there with no help. There was no one waiting for them.
3: There was uh, no housing, no food. There was nothing. That that they were promised, by the way. Yes. They were told, um, and and I saw some of these interviews with these migrants, and they were like, yeah, well, um, I was told that I was going to... It was like expedited work papers Mm -hmm. and housing. Mm -hmm. They were told that that's what they were going to get, but weren't told where they were going.
2: Yeah. And, And then... You know, the residents of Martha's Vineyard were like, what, what, what? Yeah, they had no heads up. They were (laughs) given no heads up. up. So these human beings, (laughs) which, by the way, I read many articles that spoke about their conversations with the residents of Martha's Vineyard. And these human beings have gone through the most treacherous conditions. They've seen death. They've seen horrifying Uh, things, uh, some of them have gone through torture. I mean the the, the lengths to which these people have already gone through just to arrive to a place where they're basically being used as pawns in the debate about in the immigration system in this country is insane so the dehumanization (laughs) of these people for me has been I think what has caused my you know acid reflux (laughs) to be, uh, triggered. But I heard it right there. I heard a little bit of bile
3: reach your esophagus.
2: Yes. It literally, it, I feel it, 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 it bothers me so much, but now there's, there's, we can talk at length about, you know, the nitty gritty of this. And there's a lot of legal questions floating around because people are asking, is it legal to have, to just have, these two governors asked for people to board a flight and then lie to them and basically force them into a situation where they can't even make their immigration hearing. Many of the migrants were given addresses that were all over the country, making it literally impossible for them to make their immigration hearing. So these people that were being flown to Massachusetts were then being told that their hearing was in Washington state, making it impossible for them to get there. That is so literally forcing these asylum seekers to inevitably become illegal immigrants. So, so putting all this absurdity aside, like there's two things I want to talk about, <sighs> mm-hmm. Jenny.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So one thing is mm. there is a positive side to all this. <laughs> is there? I think so. I, there's. I, I think so. So so bear with me. As I was watching all this, I kept on focusing on the horrific dehumanization and. The use of these human beings to prove a political point. But then as more and more articles started coming out and more and more videos started coming out, I started seeing the deep humanity with which Mm. these migrants were received on Martha's Vineyard. Every single person in the community, not only pitched in, but actively made their stay hospitable no you're right yes they opened up their homes they donated clothes they donated food Um, lawyers from all over massachusetts flew to martha's vineyard to make sure that these people had representation and you know i think it's really important as as and as someone who i've said at the beginning struggles to really consume news that makes me question humanity Mm -hmm. it's important Mm -hmm. to look at the humanity within the within the horridness. And there's a deep beautiful story of humanity here of of 50 migrants arriving to one of the most affluent places in the United States where people might have assumed maybe two governors who oh maybe did the whole thing didn't mm-hmm. expect the humanity to be shown. Didn't expect no, these people they, to turn
3: up. They I I saw like Ron DeSantis's freaking little speech where he's patting himself on the back and You could, I mean, obviously this was for political gain. I mean, come on. It's freaking obvious. Um, But, you know, I could tell that he was trying to stick it to the Dems. You know, he's like, okay, the liberals are so gung-ho about immigrants. Then let them have them. Like, you can tell that was the attitude overall with these Republican governors. They're just like, we're not doing anything wrong. But the Biden administration and the, and the Democrats are so, they're so open and loving, right? They want to accept all the immigrants. Well, let's see how they handle it. Like, let's see how they like it. And let's just send them over there. And, um, well, jokes on them because, like you said, they were greeted with warmth and kindness and love and compassion.
2: <laughs> oh, you know. Things that the Bible says, which is the, stuff yes. that conservatives tend to uh, always hilarious. harp
3: on. Hilarious. Uh, people always forget the story about the birth of baby Jesus, where they had to knock on various inns, and a lot of people would not take Jesus in. Well, Mary and Joseph, until they finally found an innkeeper who said yes. Bloody hilarious, right? Like you. These are the stories that they teach us out of the womb. Like I, it was one of the first stories I learned in kindergarten, in Christian school. And I'm like, y'all are behaving in a not very Christian way, but y'all like to act like you're Bible experts, I guess.
2: Yeah, I mean, I've never read the Bible um, and I'm not religious, but I do believe in treating your fellow man.
3: (laughs) Once again, Jesus hung out with thieves, and murderers and prostitutes and every kind of person you can imagine. But I guess they skipped that part of the Bible. I don't know what part they're even referring to at this point, like <laughs> a paragraph that they took out of context. I don't, I, don't know. I don't know anymore because again, I never read the Bible at all from start to finish. First, I couldn't even read Charlotte's Web, okay? Cause I have ADHD. So there's no way I was gonna read the whole freaking Bible. But like, again, we, I know the Bible very well. Like, I, I know the books of the Bible by heart. Like, again, it's, it's, it was ingrained in me as a kid. And what you're mainly taught in school, in religious schools, is mostly the acts of Jesus, more so than anything else. Yeah, you learn the some Old Testament stuff. Yeah, sure. But you're really mostly learning about the New Testament, about Jesus' life on Earth, and all the good he did for people, and how loving and kind, and what a big freaking hippie he was, essentially. And I'm just shocked and disgusted that all these self-proclaimed Christians seem to have skipped over that or something. I, I just, <laughs> just... Maybe saying. there's an epilogue to the Bible
2: <laughs> called
1: Mm. Los crujientes y esponjosos ego waffles. Ya sea que te guste un desayuno salado, con huevos o salsa picante encima de tus waffles, o seas más dulcero. Y los prefieras con mantequilla y miel, encuéntranos en el pasillo de desayunos congelados. Lego with ego.
3: Well, that's why people edited the Bible so many times. And if you really think that the Bible as it is right now is word by word out of the out of Christ's mouth or God's mouth, you are sorely mistaken. Um, you can't even pass on a secret without it getting misconstrued. <laughs> like, yeah, because uh, people be people. I took many courses. I took courses in college. The Bible's been edited many times for political gain and for power and money, specifically by white men. Okay, continue.
2: Well, you know, I, I think what we've seen here is a PR disaster. I think... DeSantis and Abbott thought that this was going to be successful, and in the process of trying to prove their point, they did the opposite. Um, But I want to talk about something else with you uh, regarding this, which is very specific to us, which is um, how Venezuelans and and Cubans as well, uh, who I think are a group of immigrants who, unlike a lot of other immigration um, groups, might have a tendency to perhaps see the right and Republicans as their saviors because of obvious history in our country of dictatorships being Mm left-leaning. I'm kind of shocked about how Venezuelans have reacted to this here. Are you? I want to... Clarify that. Obviously, the, the great majority of Venezuelans that I have talked to about this are absolutely heartbroken and obviously see, you know, the, the horrific treatment of our people and how unfair mm-hmm. this is. But there are people <laughs> that have been contacting me as I've been posting this and they're like, well, what did you expect would happen to them? huh? Why didn't they just do it legally? I came here legally. And they just, they decided to just like, just cross over. And I'm like, bro, they walked from Venezuela all the way to Mexico. And by the way, people dying around them. There's a group that actually got kidnapped by drug cartels and were tortured. Like, you think that they did this because they just like, I, you know what? Why don't we just give it a shot? No, these people are- where. (gasps) Are, se, se <gasps> they're, they're starving and they want... And they want an opportunity for work and life. And a lot of the people who these folks claim came here legally are actually people that flew over and just overstayed their visas. <laughs> ¿Es verdad? Es <laughs> verdad. These people in Miami, they're like, mis primos vinieron ilegalmente. I'm like, bro, your your primo could afford a, to get a, a tourist visa and then just overstayed his welcome. Which is fine, like... I, I, that's not something I personally care about, but don't then come and say that these these people who did, couldn't pay for a flight and couldn't pay for an appointment to the U.S. embassy and couldn't have done all these things because they just did not have the resources, because they didn't have the resources. I think they deserve to be here more. Yeah. More than your cousin Pedrito, who was like, I know me da la dija Caracas, and then he overstayed his welcome here. <laughs> like, are you fucking kidding me, bro? <laughs>
3: bro it's fucking true you don't say you don't say que le pasa a la gente pero tu sabes que la misma mierda con los cubanos y mira que ahora yo quiero hablar en español because my ricky ricardo just came out (laughs) i don't even know how to say this in english okay todos los cubanos who came in the 60s in the freedom flights yes including my family my family came via the freedom flights right and look I get frustrated Yang, with the left because then they, they're mm-hmm. like, oh, people have come up with like the most ridiculous shit about me. Like Jenny's family owned slaves. I'm like, they own chickens. <laughs> that's about it. Uh, my family was poor. It's like there's all these assumptions, right? Like, oh, the elite white Cubans are the only ones who left in the 60s. I'm like, well, that's not true. But um, because <laughs> my family's poor um. So all these freaking dumb misconceptions, and I have my own gripes with that, and that's the issue with living in this specific hyphen. You and I, uh, being mm-hmm. liberal Democrat, uh, you know, Cuban and Venezuelan American, but I can't even look at my local news anymore. I can't look at like local Miami news social media because a lot of the comments are from fellow Cubanos and Venezolanos who were lucky enough that they got to come out, you know, here in the during the freedom flights. And look, I get like Pedro Pan, that was traumatizing, right? A lot of people had to come as children by themselves and leave their families behind in Cuba. And that was like, to me, that's extremely traumatic and I'm not trying to dismiss any of that. But shouldn't you use that trauma to empathize with people trying to flee Mm -hmm. their countries right now? And also I'm gonna bring this back, I mentioned it before. Elian Gonzalez. I know a lot of you motherfuckers still have a photo (laughs) of Elian on your fucking wall next to La Caridad de Cobre, and you're like, Ay, pobrecito, Elian Gonzalez. His mother died in the ocean to bring her son to freedom and go to Disney World and eat macaroni and cheese. I don't know, and have happy meals from McDonald's. And, and she died in the ocean and the dolphins saved him. And evil Janet Reno took him back to Cuba. Now he's a dirty commie. Well, think about this, people. You were able to empathize with Elian and his mother and his family fleeing Cuba. I believe this was in the early 2000s. Or the year 2000, rather. I could be wrong. Or 1999. This was way past a majority of Cubans came to Miami between the 50s, 60s, 70s, and then it started to become more and more rare. And then it started to become a lot of balceros and like people trying to escape Cuba in very dangerous ways. Again, uh, crossing the ocean over to to the you know to Florida. And my best friend was one of them. My best friend was five years old, and her parents got on a on a boat on a raft, and Fidel's people came and used fire hoses on them to drown them. Oh, my God. Yeah, so uh, this is very personal to me, and I just don't understand how the same Cuban community, specifically in Miami, and I'm sure in other parts of the U.S., were able to empathize and be absolutely horrified and disgusted about what happened to Elion. and they're like, Porecito, the mother trying to escape the, you know, communist dictatorship uh, of the Castro regime, I, I, I just can't, I can't figure I, out I how they're not able, what's your theory? Because I can't, I can't put it together.
2: <laughs> and the Elian Gonzalez story is almost like a religious story. It's almost like the perfectly catered and crafted story of a little boy looking for something, having lost his mother. It's almost like written like a lifetime movie. So mm-hmm. it pulls on your heartstrings in a way that politics doesn't come in. So it, 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 it's just it's just a story that is almost like a metaphor for everyone's story coming out of Cuba. It fits them in the way that they, they like it. Um, I think the stories of a lot of these migrants aren't that pretty. or And I'm not saying that, I mean, it's a horrific story. But maybe the story doesn't fit them perfectly. It's more, you know, it's, it's not as perfectly and simply told. There's a lot of different things that come into it. And I think like, you know, Cubans, you guys have been going through this for for many decades. For Venezuelans, this is new. We weren't like at this point, we Mm -hmm. have the biggest displacement in the world. We have the biggest refugee crisis in the world, more than Syria. Mm -hmm. People don't talk about this. So the Venezuelan people don't have this story to latch onto, this Elian Gonzalez perfectly told story because of circumstance. Um, and you know, people used to migrate into Venezuela. It's one of the reasons I am from Venezuela, and now Venezuelans are, are escaping and, and sort of mimicking what happened to other immigrant groups, including Cubans. I, I think there's this othering. I think Venezuela, it is a highly divided country. It is a polarized country. It is a us versus them country. Um, and so is Cuba because of politics. And mm-hmm. I think that people, when they arrive here, they keep thinking with that mentality because it's so inculcado in the way that they see others. It's not everyone is, is, is worthy of sympathy and empathy. It's no, there's people that are going to fuck you over and there's people that are good. And that's how I see people o sea, dentro de mi propio país because of how horrible the dictatorship has been. Like, it, it's almost impossible not to think in these binaries. Um, and I think they just brought it over and they're bringing it over and attributing it to like the completely wrong people. Es como que, brother. These people literally are just like, hey, what's up? Um, I made $20 a month in Venezuela and I'm here to work. <laughs> Uh, that doesn't seem like someone who is problematic to
3: me. That seems like someone who just wants to live a life. Like, why are you so against them? When I lived in Miami, what I would hear a lot regarding immigrants, but specifically Cubans, from other Cubans, right? The Cubans in Miami who have been there for a long time. The way they talk about the Cubans of today is, uh, not the best. It's very like, oh, they're freeloaders. Oh, you know, like... It's not, everyone suddenly pretends like they're like these wealthy Coral Gables, que you know? Well, because that's what they aspire to. That's what they aspire to, exactly. But because this is, this is not just coming from like rich white Cubans. This is coming from like every possible type of Cuban, again, conservative Republican Cubans. It's very much a, I got mine mentality. I got mine. I don't really care about everyone else coming. There's no more room for you like for some reason everyone thinks they came the right way (laughs) and like they don't realize the privilege and then at the same time when I say the word privilege (laughs) to like specifically conservative Cubans more so if they're white for some reason hearing the word privilege it's like a vampire in church they just combust into flames or something and I'm like calm down when I say privilege I'm not dismissing your struggles. I'm not dismissing the trauma and everything you went through, coming to another country, leaving your loved ones behind. Like, there, that's not what I'm talking about when I say privilege. But there is still a certain privilege that people who overstayed their visas and came on a f- flight, or like people that came in th- with the freedom flights and such that's still a level of privilege the freedom flights for example was like a seven-year period where fidel castro was like okay go right i'm not saying it was easy it was traumatic for my family they had to leave everything behind my grandma and my grandfather had to leave their parents behind siblings behind their belongings they had to start from scratch and you know it, it, it's i'm not dismissing we are not dismissing that
0: life is a highway and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches but there's only one so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour
1: let go with ego existen dos tipos de personas en el mundo los que prefieren un desayuno dulce con frutas dulce de leche y un jugo de naranja y los que prefieren un desayuno salado con chorizo, huevos rancheros y un café pero sin importar que tipo de persona eres hay algo que a todos les va a gustar Mm. Los crujientes y esponjosos Ego Waffles. Ya sea que te guste un desayuno salado, con huevos o salsa picante encima de tus waffles, o seas más dulcero. Y los prefieras con mantequilla y miel. Encuéntranos en el pasillo de desayunos congelados. Lego with Ego.
3: Privilege does not equate either to like having money or not having money in this regard. It's more of the privilege of, dude, you had it a little easier to get here. Not everyone has that privilege. Yeah. And at the end of the day, people are fighting for their lives. And it's also like, a, well, it's worse in Cuba than in Mexico. You know, there's also that, uh-huh. you know, oh, Cuba has a worse political climate. So I empathize more with Cubans trying to escape versus like Mexicans and Guatemalans and El Salvadorians, et cetera. I'm like, fucking Google shit, man. Please like read about the dangers of these countries and what's going on and why people are fleeing.
2: Also, why do you have to like is this the, like, Tragedy Olympics? Like, is there a gold medal and it, then a I silver medal? O sea, people are escaping, you know, poverty and violence and danger. Like, isn't that enough? Or it's like, what type of poverty and what type of violence specifically? Right. But, you know, a lot of what we're talking about, it it sort of reminds me, you know, in college, I took a class about, like, Jewish history. And I didn't realize, and it was, like, kind of hidden from me, that there's this like concept of the self-loathing Jew, right? It's the Jew that kind of like hates themselves a little bit. And I had heard of the concept before, but I but I just assumed it was like self-deprecation and humor. And it's like, no, it's actually something very specific that happened in history, which was a lot of Jews came over uh, over the course of the 20th century to the U.S. and all they wanted to do was assimilate. And because, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of Ashkenazi Jews were were white, you know, we could find ways to assimilate. Um, And there was this rejection and almost hatred of Judaism because it was like embarrassing that it was the thing that wouldn't allow you into the schools or the country clubs. And it kept on reminding you, you were not American, you were Jewish and people wanted to be American. So, you know, Philip Roth wrote a lot of novels about how, you know, the Jews would arrive and then they'd get like stories of nose jobs and dyeing their hair blonde and like trying to anglicize mm. and, and this like hatred and embarrassment towards this Jewish culture and I think that that's something that's also happening in a lot of immigrant communities. And I think that's the hatred and the the, the self loathing that I see with a lot of Venezuelans that have even even oh, emailed man. me through my website saying I'm embarrassed to be a Venezuelan. And I'm like, oh, because our government has caused like the worst diaspora in our history. And they're like, no, because of these migrants coming in and thinking they can just. And I'm like, no, no, you were starting off so well. And it's like, no, because it reminds them of the of how much. They, they aren't fully American. It reminds them that they are Venezuelan and that they're, the reason they're here is because their country is fucked and that people are having to cross all these dangers and arrive in a country and start from scratch. And it's it, for some reason, embarrasses them because it, it takes them away from the dream of being American, of being purebred American. Bro, and oh my I,
3: God, you nailed it.
2: it <laughs> right? And it's kind of like, you know when you're like, When you're an adult, you're secure in yourself. Like when you're a teenager and you're insecure, you're like, what? No, I'm not. I'm not like that. What are you talking about? And then you're an adult and you grow and you're mature and you're like, yeah, you know what? These are. I am this. I'm fully this. I feel like these people that are embarrassed by these migrants are like teenagers that aren't comfortable with who they are yet and anything triggers them into over defending and it's like if you're fully if you really feel comfortable with your Venezuelaness and and your Americanness fully this wouldn't bother you this would actually fill you with empathy but it doesn't because it triggers mm-hmm. you because it makes you feel insufficient it's because they reflect you mm-hmm. in a way that you don't like so it's like it's self-loathing
3: yeah. And I've also noticed out here in LA, we have a big Arminian community. And I thought you said minion community. I'm so sorry. I was like, that. this is an inappropriate those minions, time to make bro, a joke. They be sporting those red hats like nothing. They be minioning. <laughs> Arminian community out here. And it's funny because I used to think a lot of Armenian people that I would bump into out here were actually like Cuban because mm-hmm. like there's so many similarities. And um, on top of that, also politically, because I, I started to slowly find out that a lot of Armenians were like massive Trump supporters. And I heard from some fellow Armenian friends out here who are liberal that it's the same embarrassment. They want to be full-blooded American and they're not that empathetic towards Armenians trying to come in now. It's, it's just like, uh, uh. I want to vomit.
2: Um, but but doesn't that make you feel a little bit? I don't know about you, but for me, it makes me feel like, oh, this is not a product of my country or of my people. No, this is a product of of it, it happens to every community that escapes something. Yes, there's this adjustment period. Yeah. Um, and some people never catch up, but it it it's like this feeling of shame. Yeah, and the shame overrides. The humanity, man! Oh my gosh, this is—it was very powerful what you just said. Oh my god, did I solve you yeah. a, a question you had in your head? Because I can't sleep at night thinking.
3: About it's not—I mean, me and me and Kevin talk about it a lot, though. More so in relation to like Latinos in Hollywood specifically, they're embarrassed by the realities of our culture sometimes, and so then they try to water down the stories and stuff, and like everything has to be super perfect and no, none of the Latino characters can be flawed. So it's like there is so many levels of that type of embarrassment. Mm, that's really interesting. And for me, I'm like, I'm not embarrassed. This was my reality. But there is a term, like, I don't know if it's specific to Miami, but it's called Cubano arrepentido. So it's... Uh, what's the word for arrepentido in English? Um, regretful. Regretful. Or, yeah, like re- a regretful Cuban, meaning like they almost don't even want to talk about their Cuban roots. They're like 100% American. Everything's the American flag. And it's interesting because growing up for me, I always just had way more pride being Cuban, even though I was born in the States, but my entire family, great-grandparents and beyond that were born in Cuba. And it's like, also you're like, born and raised in miami it's essentially (laughs) very very cuban and so i remember and i'm just gonna say it because i don't care um my uncle would make fun of me or he'll tell my mom like why does she have the cuban flag like if i if i was proud of the cuban flag or if i had the cuban flag on like a shirt or anything he would be like she's not cuban though Mm -hmm. You know, she's American. So it's really fascinating because I was like the proud Cuban. But then like I was surrounded by a bunch of Cubans who were actually born in Cuba who were like ashamed of it. And they were like, Mm -hmm. I'm American. Mm -hmm. Bald eagle across my forehead.
2: (laughs) Well, like going back to the metaphor of the teenager, it's like when you're a teenager and someone's really insecure. And it's like if you're saying it that much, that means that you don't feel like you are.
3: (laughs) Yeah, it's really fascinating it's just really fascinating
2: i think it comes from like this deep desire to belong to something that they aspire to yeah and i think the difference with us is i feel i feel like i belong without i don't even consider it i don't think about how i'm not american i'm american my own way and i think that you know people coming in and people knowing venezuelans are in this crisis actually helps me it helps me sort of synthesize my two identities more it helps me it helps me here because it it brings light and sheds light to the crisis in my home country and i i it's horrible, but I'm like, I'm relieved that people are seeing and hearing the tragedies that people are going through. And then for some people, they're like, no, no, now Gary, my neighbor is going to think I'm one of them, you know, migrants, you know, I'm not a migrant. I came here on a, I came here on an American Airlines flight from Cancun. And, um, I work, (laughs) I work in Target. I'm like American. And it's like, Gary, oh my maybe, God. Gary won't think anything differently if he's your friend, okay? And also, why are you here then? Why aren't you back in your home country? Is it because you wanted a better life? It's
3: just... Yeah, that's all you have to ask yourself. Why are you here?
2: The desire to belong is inherently human, and and it can, it can make some beautiful things happen. Like... You know, there was Venezuelan immigrants that were living in Martha's Vineyard and they went to where the migrants were and helped them and translated stuff. And they were like, these are my people, I need to help them. That feeling of belonging is beautiful, but feelings of belonging and and desiring to belong also has this incredibly dangerous effect, which others' people in ways that are dangerous, and you saw it with the Nazis. <laughs> They're like, we are, look at who we are. Look at our flag. We belong. They don't. And it's like, you know, we, in a an in a obviously perhaps, you know, less drastic and, and violent way, um, this sense of belonging to the states makes those that came from other places feel the need to reject those that are coming in now under very difficult circumstances because of how it reflects on them.
3: Again, it's disheartening because you're empathizing with all these migrants who are just shipped off to like a random spot in the in this giant country and, and just being tricked and fooled and, and all that. And then also feeling bad that like, your own community. For you, it's the Venezuelan-American community. For me, it's the Cuban-American community. And I always want to see the best in them because Mm -hmm. they are me. And then when you see them being so harsh and vile and just hateful towards these people fleeing oppression, the same oppression that their families fled, it just breaks my heart. It just breaks my heart. (gasps) It's extremely disappointing. We feel the shame
2: that they feel for completely different reasons. But we all feel shame and um yes you know
3: what there there is this is this is definitely a shame thing it's i feel embarrassed but you know going back to the the wonderful people um at martha's vineyard who came to to help all these migrants it reminds me of that mr rogers quote when i was a boy i would see scary things in the news my mother would say to me look for the helpers you will always find people who are helping so I think that's the best we can focus on to keep our sanity. And there's some beautiful stories. Yeah. So focus on the beautiful stories while fighting uh, for for,
2: the good. That took me so long to find the word good because it's been such a bad conversation.
3: I know. What is the word again? Um, good? <laughs> well, this is certainly going to piss off a lot of people. But you know what? Uh, too bad. <laughs> Yolotown USA. <laughs>